Watchers, a Watchmen podcast. In preparation for HBO's The Watchmen, which airs this fall, we're doing a deep dive through the graphic novel, The Watchmen. This week, we're taking a closer look at Chapter One. My name is Jen. Welcome, Joe and Addison. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing well, doing well. I'm Joe. Uh, I'm doing well, and my name's Addison. Excellent. Well, um... We talked a little bit about Chapter 1 on our intro podcast. Yeah, I got a little excited there. <laughs> we almost uh, just went straight into it. Yeah, we really but, did. <laughs> you know, I think some of us felt like we were prepared, but we didn't know just how prepared prepared was until uh, yeah, we saw right. the notes prepared for this very episode. <laughs> there is a lot in this story. It, it was It's so easy to pick it apart. I mean, there's so much I didn't even include in my, my outline. Um there's just so much to digest. Well, I'm really um, excited because uh, you, uh, I'm looking at you and Joe to be the ones that are going to do the deep dive, like really picking stuff since, you know, I'm kind of looking at this as, uh, for a first time. So, And we should back your up notes is exciting. and uh, we talked about it a little in the intro cast, but um, we all kind of have a different experience with the Watchmen. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to bring different perspectives to this show. Um, I really, I seen the movie back when it came out, but that was about the extent of my Watchmen knowledge. But when I heard there um, was going to be a show on HBO, I wanted to dive into the book. I like to read books before I see things anyway, and I didn't really have that opportunity with the movie way back when. Um, so I just read The Watchmen um, over the span of a couple of weeks, just a few months ago. Um, how about you, Joe? I well, like I said last time, I have read it a bunch, and I thought that I had understood and digested it all <laughs> until I saw that outline, and I realized uh, yeah, I right? don't. Apparently, I don't know anything that happens in this book. I looked just reading through those notes filled me with such anxiety. Like I cannot <laughs> hang with this crew. Oh, no. I don't know anything about Watchmen. Apparently, I didn't get any of the symbolism. I didn't see any of the stuff in the background. But uh, no, I'll I'll be here pretending like I noticed it all along. <laughs> hey, you know it's like that is literally going through like a magnifying glass from panel to panel, and that does it. Honest, sometimes going through it that way almost makes it a little tedious, rather than just just uh, digesting it as a story. Um, but what about you, Addison? What's uh, your history? Uh, yeah. So like I said in the first episode, I. I've only watched the movie, and then right before the the pre-trailer, I read the first chapter. So that is my exposure. Like That's as far as I am. So if anybody out there is reading along with the podcast, you'll be reading along with me. So We'll try really please, hard not to spoil. Yeah, please don't spoil it, guys, for me and the other people. <laughs> there may um, be some hints of spoilers, but we'll try really hard to avoid any blatant spoilers for the end of the book. I mean, I've seen the movie. I'm just, you sure. know, there's, there, you know, maybe if there's some things that are hidden in the comic books in the future, um, please don't, <laughs> please don't <laughs> disclose those to me. Yeah. And, don't assume uh, everyone uh, listening ha- is going through this for their 18th time. There yeah, might be right. some new folks along the way. Hopefully that would be yeah. ideal. Well, I'm hoping there's someone out there that I can, you know, talk to as, as, as being a first reader. Um, that'll be exciting. I, I hope that we get people listening who maybe not haven't read the book and are just kind of wanting to learn a little bit about the um, the story. The, uh, gosh, I'm blinking on the words. I'm trying to 
come up with, but looking at the original material in preparation for the show. Right. Um, so I would hope that like we're going to give you a summary and then just kind of dive in and explain some of the characters and the themes throughout. Um, and, and hopefully that'll be interesting to anyone who hasn't read the book. I think reading the book would be a great experience. You can get it um, as a digital version for fairly inexpensive. Um, but yeah, uh, so we're trying to bring some different perspectives and just give everyone kind of some guidance as we prepare for October's release of The Watchmen. And Joe, when Jen sent me the notes, uh, I sent her back the exploding head emoji because <laughs> I think that's apt. <laughs> you know, you guys both just mentioned what you hope the listeners are, what sort of listeners we get. So I would say I hope that we get listeners who have a lot of money and they really just want to give it to people <laughs> who haven't necessarily earned it. But we'll oh, talk love about it. that. Love in the future. it. <laughs> I'm just saying there is a listener. Let's just say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> If we could get into like the double digits, I'd feel like such a success. <laughs> well, listen, I've got I've got people lined up around the block. They are eagerly awaiting yes, um, the, the right. drop. So. <laughs> well, um, this has been it's been really fun so far, and we've only yeah. even recorded like ten minutes. So, yep. or tw- I guess maybe ten minutes this time in our twenty minute little intro cast. And <laughs> we're having fun with it, and I yeah. think that's the most important part. Um, but I guess with all of that said, let's let's keep the train moving here. Um, and we want to just summarize the book a little bit. So, or at least the first chapter. So you um, want to do like a quick general summary of the chapter and then you want to break it down? Yeah. Page by page? So okay. see if I can kind of summarize this for you quickly. Maybe I was a little less prepared for the summary than I was for the deep dive, y'all. So here we go. I don't go. know how that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> just time. Time is an elusive thing that just slips Tell me through your it. fingers so quickly. <laughs> and here you go. You spend your whole weekend painting your front porch. And <laughs> here we are. Um, but the story opens. Uh, you see that iconic smiley face um, with the blood on it. And you just zoom out and uh, it, you're introduced to the story investigating the murder of the comedian. Um an individual you find out to be the comedian. Yes, but you do find that out in this yeah. chapter. And um, the investigation is followed up by um, a masked vigilante who becomes kind of the uh, main character of the story. Um, he winds up looking into the murder as well, and he believes that there is somebody who is um, a masked a mask killer and he starts investigating and trying to find people to kind of bring around to help him investigate who killed the comedian and he initially um goes to dan dryberg who he used to be partners with and tells dan about the situation and he kind of sloughs it off um to See, this is what happens when I go off the cuff, mm-hmm. guys. Um, but he kind of sloughs it up. <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> Thanks. Um, he kind of uh, just chalks it up to being th- that something political happened because it is, you were informed that Eddie Blake is one of the few vigilantes who's working for the government. And he's um, still here, active. Yep. And they talk about something called the Keene Act of 1977, which is an act that was released by the government, um, or an act put into place by the government banning any masked vigilantes unless they are 
being employed by the government. Um, and so they just assume that he's killed for political reasons. Not happy with that, Rorschach then t- makes a visit to Ozymandias, um, who is Adrian Veidt, and tells him the same thing. Adrian Veidt is revealed as a very wealthy, very smart man um, who has kind of sold out to the general public with action figures and capitalized on his fame yeah he's he's used it to uh his monetary gain. well doesn't he say that he is the first he's the only one who like unmasked himself and then capitalized on his image yeah i believe okay. so and it was something like because he can kind of synthesize a lot of information and i think he mm-hmm. just was able to anticipate what was happening, what was happening. Too. Okay. um and therefore money 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 <laughs> he's a seller <laughs> Yeah, he is. Rorschach makes very clear. Um, but he, Ozymandias, Adrian Veidt, I always, when I read it, I always said Veidt in my head, but then I've now heard it Veidt, which is probably correct, but because I learned it the wrong way, I'm going to get that wrong from here and out forever. <laughs> so you can just hang on to your emails. I know what it's supposed to be. Well, I already started a tweet, dang it. <laughs> I didn't even tell you what our Twitter account was. How can anyone tweet us yet? Uh, Somebody will be ready to warn you. It's, yeah, not, right. Vate, it's not Vite, it's Vate, because it sounds like fate, and he's got a destiny, and you're going to find out. Read along. <laughs> Let's see. Sometimes all it takes is a little trick like that. Vate, fate. Maybe I'll get it right. We'll see. I doubt it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so following his visit to Vate, which kind of, he comes to the same conclusion, political killing, he ends up going to the Rockefeller, Rockefeller Military Research Center, where we are then introduced to two more characters. Um Lori, Jupiter. Nope. Lori just, I just made the same mistake as Rorschach. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say. Lori really? just says chick. There you go. And um, who we meet as Dr. Manhattan, who when we first meet him is like the height of six people. It's pretty cool. And the way that it's drawn out in the panels is really cool too. And just makes you immediately be like, oh shit, this is a really tall person. <laughs> then he just, in the very next panel, shrinks back down to human size. So we meet the first um, like true superhuman um, named Dr. Manhattan. And Rorschach, same thing here. Someone's killing um, the masked vigilantes. Um, and Dr. Manhattan kind of says same thing, political killing, snaps his fingers, Rorschach's outside. So we can not only see Dr. Manhattan's ability to make himself larger and smaller, but to just poof people anywhere he wants. He basically can do whatever he wants. Um, and then the one other character I actually skipped over and forgot to introduce is that uh, when we first meet Dan Dryberg, he's actually talking to Hollis Mason, who is Night Owl 1. Dan Dryberg is Night Owl 2nd. Um, and Hollis retired, and then Dan Dryberg kind of took up his, his costume um, until the Keen Act went into place, and now he's just been kind of living in retirement. And with that fairly dysfunctional summary that I hope you all were able to follow, we're going to go into the deep dive, which is uh, quite a deep dive. So buckle up, and we're going to kind of take this a little bit panel by panel and just dive into some of the symbolism, um, some of maybe the foreshadowing, just really interesting things about the story. Um, Was there anything about this, like, for chapter one that I might have overlooked that you guys want to jump in with? I think as an overview that pretty much hits the main 
points. It's just kind of a through line following one person as he introduces most of the important characters. And they do it in such a way that you don't you don't necessarily sit there and be like, okay, I guess this is a new character I'll be following along. It works really well. Yeah, it does. I'd agree. Yeah, it is a really obviously well thought out chapter. Um, <laughs> so to kind of dive in more deeply, the very first page when we check out that iconic smiley face pin, um, it's kind of being, it's almost like narrated by Rorschach's journal. Like it doesn't really seem like narration, but it is in a way. Um, and we kind of zoom out on that first panel up to an elevated view of the detectives looking down at where uh, Edward Blake, the comedian, was thrown out of his apartment. Um, one thing, a couple of things to even note right off the bat in that zooming out is you see a gentleman walking around. Um, he's got red hair and he's holding a big sign, the end is nigh. And he kind of tends to pop back up throughout the chapter a little bit too as we go back to like that physical location. Um, there's also a purple truck driving by in panels four and five that has a symbol on it that we'll soon learn more about. Um, yeah, I didn't, also, even, didn't even notice that. The first <laughs> year, so. I would say it's placed there purposefully. Um, which I think <laughs> is just so smart. Well, I think these are some of the things you pick up the second or third time you read it. Like the first time, I'm kind of just... Not necessarily, let me tell you. Oh, uh, hey, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe your 40th or 50th, depending on the type of brain you have. Some of us need this stuff pointed out by the. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> In my initial read, I, I did notice the, the guy with the sign. He just seemed like he was there for Important. a reason. Yeah. <laughs> I did not necessarily notice some of those symbols that are, are put in. And looking at it now, it's like, oh, well, yeah, <laughs> makes sense. And I see why it's there, but I, I don't think I would have noticed if I really wasn't trying to just rip this apart panel by panel. So sure. I, don't, I don't know if we have said anything, but did we say what time this is supposedly taking place in? We didn't. Okay, it might, might be helpful. Go for it, Joe. <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, it starts right off saying Rorschach's Journal, October 12th, 1985. Side note, do we expect the show, which is supposed to release in October to be around October 12th for an initial date of launch? It seems oh. possible. I know it's October sometime. Yeah, that's a good... I didn't even think about that. I wonder. You guys vamp quick when I Google. <laughs> <laughs> Let's find out. No, the, um, uh, you open this book with six panels that I could just read all of them <laughs> out loud, but I won't. Right. And you know, you don't even know who Rorschach is, but you read these six mm -hmm. panels and you know everything you need to know about who Rorschach is and yeah, a pretty good deal do. about what kind of world you're in already. It's <laughs> real good. And if you're not already on the edge, like, okay, I need to figure out what is up, then we have nothing in common. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Just like re-looking re re over him there. He has uh, like yeah, such... Yeah, really kind of figure him out in the first couple of yeah. cells. Yeah. He has such, like, stinger lines in panels three and six. They'll look up and shout, save us, and I'll look down and whisper, no. Oh. <laughs> like, this is the kind of vigilante we're dealing with. Yeah. I mean, do we have do we have opening opinions on Rorschach? Do we want to talk about that? Because I've, I've had conflicting feelings on him in the first chapter already. 
that will continue okay. <laughs> throughout, I would say. I, I uh, won't even lie. Some of the rhetoric he says and some of the things is kind of like echoing what I hear today from certain people. And I'm just like, wow, okay. Oh, yeah. he's. It would be hard, I think, to class him strictly as a good person or even a person who would be worth emulating their thought patterns yeah. at all. But yeah, exactly. He has, and this is the thing that I'll come up over and over again because it's central to his character. Okay. His like value system or whatever his belief system is all that matters to him. And it's hard okay. not to be like, you know, I wish I believed in something like <laughs> as hard much, as he believes yeah. in this. Okay. I'm excited. Yeah, he's definitely very embedded in his convictions. He's a very good like anti-hero hero, you know? For sure. And very, it's kind of one confusing. of the things <laughs> right. And one of the things you notice is how eloquent he is in his writing but then when he talks to people it's very stilted and i don't know if that's a specific choice he makes like oh i'm not gonna be like mr smarty pants or whatever when i'm in costume right or if it's just social awkwardness which it seems like it could be that too you know i didn't notice that journal entries are downright poetic and Mm -hmm. then he talks and it's just like (laughs) 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 caveman which, yeah. And his word bubbles are all, like, specifically gravelly and stuff, too. Like, they're just, like, they're, it's not like a circle. Rough. It's yeah. like a jagged-edged circle. Um, just kind of indicates gruffness with his speech. Sure. Um, I could not locate the specific release date, but we know it's October. <laughs> um, maybe by next time we'll know. I'm not sure if it's actually been released yet, but... Probably hasn't. Um but yeah, so the story does take place in 1985, um, and it's an old world theory similar to ours, but there have been some differences um, in there actually are massive vigilantes. And with the exception of Dr. Manhattan, they don't really necessarily have actual true super, superhuman power. They're just really humans who might have a certain specialty but aren't necessarily like powerful in, in a magical sense. Um, but from them and then the introduction of doc, Dr. Manhattan, um, we actually wind up winning the Vietnam War. Um, and you can see throughout this chapter signs to that. Um, one thing that's indicated right off the bat on the second page is the when the detectives are investigating Blake's murder, they find a photograph of him shaking hands with Gerald Ford, and they refer to him as Vice President Ford. Um, whereas in 1985, you would have referred to him as President Ford because he would have taken over when Nixon resigned, but Nixon didn't resign in this world and is actually now in, I believe, his fifth term <laughs> as a president. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we had some comments on that last time. Feel free to go check out other podcasts. So, <laughs> The trailer podcast, um, but it is—it's just a real—it's a slightly different world. Um, let's see, and uh, yeah. So, like we said, it starts with the 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 murder of the comedian or Blake, um, and then the second page, you kind of it kind of starts the story of what happened to him. And you can see that the regularly colored uh, cells would be the ones that are present time of the detectives trying to figure out what's going on. And then uh, juxtapose that um, there's three cells in there that are red, which are like the flashbacks to what were actually happening. 
as they were trying to figure it out, which was kind of cool um, to see. And the juxtaposition of the text from the current time to the, the visual flashbacks from his actual murder right. is just so rich. And my absolute favorite from even the very first time I read it, it's when I was kind of sold on making sure I was going to finish this, was a ground floor coming up, which is them actually getting on an elevator and going down to the ground floor. But the image that that text is actually on is of Blake being thrown out the window. <laughs> yeah, that's so one of the best bits <laughs> in yeah. the first issue. I love that so much. And you can get the indication right away that these cops are not going to be main characters because of the way everything they're saying is not correct <laughs> based yeah. on what's actually happening in the panels. It must have been a team of guys. It's clearly one. Maybe he tripped and fell out the window. The window, yeah. Oh, this... <laughs> so, uh, yeah, as you can tell, they're just like a, a way of peeking into what's going on here so we know exactly what's going on next when you see other people getting involved. But we'll get there in a minute. I think the only thing they got right was that he was already home when they broke in. Right. <laughs> Which seems like something I could solve, and I have right. no training at all. Um, there's all, are there indications beyond like uh, them referring to him as vice president Ford, too, to this being a slightly different world? Um, the shot of the man's like operating elevator, he's got a pretty funky hat on and this like weird smoking device. Um, so there's a lot of just really small fashion kind of hints in here, too, that this isn't necessarily our world because things look just slightly different, um, which I think is just really smart. It's not in your face at all. It's just in the really small details. Where you're like, oh, that's a little different and maybe slightly unexpected. Um, but then we're actually introduced after that to um, the detectives bring up something called knot tops, um, which is the nap tops are a gang in this world um and they'll, they'll kind of come into play throughout the story but that's your first introduction to them um and the uh detectives also bring up that keen act of 77 which we've discussed earlier and that's our first first mention of that as well they kind of start hinting at other people who might get involved. I think they even specifically mention Rorschach. In fact, yeah, they do. They say, we don't want him getting mixed up in this, so maybe we don't make a big deal about it. And you get the sense that they are not going to do any more work on this. It's just a murder, and they're kind of over it. And they would rather nobody find out about it. But very quickly, Rorschach finds out about it <laughs> pretty much <laughs> immediately. He has inserted himself exactly where they did not want him to be. Yeah. For sure. Um, there's, there's just so much, even on just this page. Um, in the panel, you can see a, a, a kid, we'll call him, yeah. reading a book, or actually Nick's that, reading a, a comic book, The Tales of the Black Freighter. Behind him are two more uh, comic books hanging up, both surrounding pirates. And one thing of note is that in this story, um, so like in our world, we look to, you know, Captain America and Superman and all of our comic books follow actual like superheroes. But in this world, superheroes are real or at least mask masked vigilantes are. Uh, so they aren't necessarily like excited to read about the things that already exist in their world. And therefore, um, most of their comic books and their um, following is pirates and pirate stories, which is pretty hmm. interesting. Um 
And you also see a newspaper that says Vietnam for 51st state. So that's another clue to this world being slightly different. (laughs) I Um, always wondered, you know, they, there's a lot of people who have mentioned the pirate thing and like pirates are revered instead of superheroes. But I always wondered if that was not a knock on effect of the Keen Act where the government said, don't be glorifying what these people do. They're not allowed to do it anymore. So they had to find something else to write their comics about. Yeah, that could be. That's very possible. Didn't even really think about that. Um, you also see an advertisement for some candy called Meltdowns, and there's a lot of themes of atomic stuff and nuclear and just impending Armageddon and doom in a, a nuclear sense. Um, so that's another hint at that. Mm. And then. Um, this is on page three. Um, <laughs> um, you also see the detectives walk past the man holding the sign and indicate that they feel a shiver, which I think is just interesting. Um, <laughs> then we see on the next page, page four, there's another advertisement for the meltdowns. And then you see um, who we learned to be Rorschach picking up that smiley face pin and using his grappling hook to go into the apartment that Blake was thrown from. And as soon as you see Rorschach, I think you want to know what his deal is because he's got the classic like trench coat detective style. He's got like the pinstripe pants and you're like, man, he's cooler than I'll ever be. <laughs> what is he up to? Well, yeah, and as you, soon as he's he, grappling, hooking up into like a 40th floor apartment or something, uh, it's clear he's kind of awesome. Yeah, they kind of like really put him out as like a noir detective style. Like in those first scenes, it's such like shadows and darkness. And yeah, it's cool. You do are you are very interested in who he is and like what he's, what he's about to do. Right. And you and don't you definitely get the feeling like, oh, here's the important guy. Yeah, this <laughs> guy's going to do nothing. something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the grappling hook, I was like, all right, this guy knows knows what's up. And another just, I love the way these are drawn, because you go from the last panel of page three into the first panel of page four, and it's the same view. Like, you're looking up at these same two buildings, but it goes from daytime with the red-haired man holding a sign in the foreground. I don't even think I read this book. Now I'm listening more and more (laughs) depth to what you said. To the same scene of the two buildings, but now the moon is in the background. There's actually also um, a blimp flying around, or whatever, the zephyr is probably a better term, Hmm. Um, which is another sign of this being a different world. But now what you see, instead of the red-haired man, is a man wearing that... um, is that fedora? Is that the actual name of that hat? Yeah. Um, I think so. So I just the the way you shift from the one page to the next and how the time jumps, but there's that like connecting thread is just brilliant. Um, and then it just kind of there's actually not even a lot of text on the next two pages. All you get is at midnight all the agents, which is really large font in the middle of the page, it's not like a word bubble from an actual panel, which is an excerpt from a Bob Dylan song, um, which is just interesting. Hmm. In a way, it's sort of of like, um, I think they do that on a lot of these issues where it'll be, well, not so much later, because I guess they don't really need to later, but it's like this comic book has a cold open, and then here's the title screen. Like, 
uh, the title of this issue is At Midnight, All the Agents. But they had to set it up. They couldn't just start with Rorschach jumping in, <laughs> in a window or whatever. They had to give you some context. I think Rorschach would have won me over anyway, but it's yeah. nice to have some of the banter between the cops and stuff for a few pages before you just get into him digging around and promptly figures out more of what's going on in that apartment with almost no effort compared to what the police have done, <laughs> yeah. which is nothing. Yeah, it is actually like those first few pages are almost like a prelude, and this is really like, okay, this is chapter one. It's almost the way it feels. Right. Um, I like to build up to it, and it feels like it feels like that's the place for the title, I think. If yeah. you were to just start with it, it'd be like, well, I don't know. I don't know if people back <laughs> would have been confused what they were doing or what, but everything is very purposeful in this whole book, and I think it's well done there. To your point on our prior podcast about um, it being very cinematic, this feels very cinematic here yes. as well. Or like you could see that in a movie or a TV show where you kind of get some of the story and then all of a sudden it just stops for a second. Right. Like the title card or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool. But you also see as he's jumping into Blake's apartment, like the picture of the nude woman, you can just kind of see who Blake is. You're right. Um, <laughs> pretty sure there were like some pornos scattered out next to him when they show the guy breaking in to kill him. Um, <laughs> hey, whatever. Um, but this is also, let's see, the next page is where you first actually see Rorschach's gravelly word bottle, and he's just like, huh? As he discovers a false back in Edward Blake's wardrobe, and this is where we learn that he is, uh, Edward Blake was a masked vigilante. Um, we learned that he's the comedian, and his uh, costume is very uh, Captain America-esque, which is kind of interesting, considering... Like you were alluding to, Blake maybe doesn't seem like the most Captain America type. Right. That's uh, pretty much something you find about all of these people is like a real world version or like a somehow twisted version of a, a person you'd think of as a comic book hero. Like the comedian for Captain America, Night Owl's your Batman type. As you'll see, he's kind of an inventor and he's got all the cool gadgets and everything. And Ozymandias has a good stand-in for Iron Man because he's just goes public and he's rich and smart. So they kind of, they're like bent versions of superheroes you'd be familiar with and maybe how they'd act if they were real <laughs> in real life. I don't know. Now I'm thinking about it when you say he's not like, He's like not like Captain America, where like I don't know, Captain America zoos this like fake image we have about America, maybe, and maybe the comedian is more of like another alternative view of what America is. Maybe other people think. Um, maybe that's maybe perhaps in this world. Maybe in this world, in or well. just generally in this world. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think that you will find that to be more and more true as time goes on, because there's. Plenty okay. revealed about him and the others as time goes along. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm glad I'm catching on. Yeah, see? I think the comedian is definitely an archetype for a certain sort of person. That's for sure. Right. Okay, cool. I like this. Along with uh, the costume that Rorschach finds, he finds a photo, um, which is a bunch... I don't know, Joe, would you say... Referring to them as masked vigilantes is the most accurate term to use when talking about them as a group, or 
Do you call them soups? Or- <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think they, I mean, I, they pretty much just call them masks in the yeah. book to, as shorthand for, you know, what these people did <laughs> and the crazy reasons they did it, which is another thing that they touch on with different people throughout the whole time. And then finding that photo, not, I mean, the photo in addition to the, the costume and everything, but the photo especially, I think, is what sort of sets Rorschach off on his mission to find the others, the people he knows as masks now, and either recruit them for some sort of help or just provide them a warning that somebody might be gunning for you. And Rorschach did not know Edward Blake was the comedian before finding this, right? Uh, no, he doesn't because he, he mentions it later. Yeah. So Ed, Edward Blake was someone who had kept his actual identity a secret. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that, it'll be obvious why that is later, too, because <laughs> yeah. uh, you wouldn't want your identity known if you were the comedian. I think it would be wise to keep that under wraps. Yeah. But he worked for the government, too, which is, you know, just another thing. It, it would make it. If you were doing whatever you were doing in Vietnam or Korea or wherever they sent you, you wouldn't want them to be able to hurt people who were close to you if you had any, if you were a government-sponsored superhero either. So it makes sense. And uh, another super intelligent transition from one page to the next is we're looking at that picture that Rorschach has found in the next page. Um, We're zoomed in on a face in that picture but this picture is now in another location it's a whole other picture um and it's in the kitchen of hollis mason who was again the first night owl who kind of started started things with edward blake um so that transition is pretty cool and brings you in on a scene of dan dryberg who's the second night owl chatting with hollis mason the first night owl um and I just, I love these transitions. Um, and another thing is in the very first panel where you actually see Dan and Hollis, there's a clock there and it's almost midnight, which Dan refers to. That is definitely a theme in this whole story. Um, kind of, again, the impending doom, like the doomsday clock is ticking down. Um, and so you'll see clocks regularly throughout the story and they're always, it's just before midnight. Um, you also see some bookshelves in the uh, or books on a bookshelf in the foreground, and there's two copies of Under the Hood, which we'll talk about later. But that's a book by Hollis Mason, a book on mobile maintenance. He is a retired car mechanic, as well, um, or is he still a mechanic? I can't remember. Um, and then the book Gladiator, which apparently was actually um, kind of inspiration for the Superman comics which is also fitting for Hollis Mason sure yeah he mentions later when we get into under the hood that that was kind of what kicked it off and that was another thing that made me think earlier maybe comic books are not so much allowed to be about superheroes because he sort of mentions later that there are he's read books in the past that were about heroes you know masked crime fighters and that sort of thing so who knows this whole page and the whole transition is another example of telling you a lot with a little. You get a good sense of, well, you find out, A, this is old Night Owl and new Night Owl. You get a sense of how Dan Dryberg is kind of a 
he's not an old guy. I mean, he's a what middle age or something, but he's spending his nights just hanging out, shooting the shit with this super old guy. So it kind of tells you a little bit of what you need to know about Dan. He's living in the past like someone else who's kind of old and washed up and gives you a hint of like, eh, maybe, you know, he, he maybe he's living large, but he also has a sense of missing whatever he's been up to. He won't take a compliment, so he's kind of, I think they're making him out as he's kind of a, you know, spineless <laughs> or like a wimp. He won't even take a, an honest compliment from his good friend. Or maybe they're trying to sell him as a good guy. Maybe that's a bias I have or something. Who knows? Yeah, he's definitely, I I like Dryberg. I think as we, uh, Joe and I were talking earlier today and had just mentioned the characters that you maybe relate to, but the ones that you actually are like um, or want to be. But I feel like Dryberg is, for me, the easiest one to relate to that we've met so far. Um, yeah, they haven't given you much room. I, maybe I relate most to the kid who's reading a comic book in passing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, fair. I suppose it's page three or something. Say, are you old and washed up, Jen? <laughs> it's cool, I sure am. <laughs> Thirty-two feel... going on ninety-two over here. <laughs> I understand the feeling. I yeah, I feel I'm with Dan Dryberg. All my greatest days are behind me, except for this podcast. This podcast is me putting the mask back on again. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and to keep going with like a, a little saying a lot on this page, you see even just all the graffiti. Um, and there, there's some recurring references made. Um, there's the graffiti for Pale Horse. Um, there's a sign for, uh, or the sign for Hollis Mason's, uh, the sign for Hollis Mason's uh, uh, mechanic shop. There's a sign that says obsolete models only, which also seems like symbolism a little bit for the retired, um, like the obsolete superheroes, thanks to the Keen Act. Right. And you get a hint of the who watches the Watchmen graffiti on uh, the bottom middle panel, which is kind of a refrain of the whole <laughs> the whole series, really. That actually, one thing that just occurred to me is you see that again later, but you only see the first half of the words. And I'm looking for that right now. Um, and yeah, later on after Rorschach's been sent or snapped out of Dr. Manhattan's lair. You see the the WH then the of who and the WAT and I actually think that almost like lines up perfectly with that. And I have to wonder if that's intentional too. Wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, I would say pretty much everything in this book is pretty intentional. So I think it's nice that they give you a a little taste of each of them, but they don't spend forever going into it. You know what you need to know about Dan. He's Night Owl 2. He's retired. He's a good dude. He doesn't necessarily think that much of himself, but he still likes reliving the old days with his good buddy, his only friend, a very old man. <laughs> On his way home, he walks past an advertisement for nostalgia. Seems pretty fitting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also actually see some knot tops that he walks past. Um, and there's that, that pale horse, which I believe is a band in this world, is on one of their coat jackets. Um, and one of them actually has a swastika on their arm as well, which 
I think gives you a hint as to what that gang is all about. And then Dryberg makes his way home and you can see from the uh, panel on the door that he has floors one through four, which just gives you a hint as to his financial means. Yeah, Dan's doing well. Yeah. <laughs> He's uh, kind of killing it compared to Hollis Mason, who, based on the graffiti, is not living in the best neighborhood. <laughs> He's just kind of making do with what he's yeah. got or whatever. I think it's telling, you know, they've just a lot of panels here of Dan getting home and you can just kind of feel like, you know, a shrug <laughs> in his frame. But then he sees the light on in the kitchen. And this is a guy who was, you know, a masked vigilante. He doesn't kick down the door to see who's there. He peeks in through a crack to get an <laughs> idea of what kind of trouble might be waiting. So that's another little hint of what kind of state he might be in mentally or physically, despite his fun telling stories about the good old days, beating ass with Hollis Mason. He's not looking for a fight in his own home. Right. I also, in that middle frame, he kind of looks like an owl, which is kind of cool. He's all darkened and just his eyes, the glasses Uh, are shining. That is cool. Um, And then another hint that this is, you know, a different world, the can of baked beans, um, because, Dryberg opens up the door to see that Rorschach's just nomming on some baked beans that are cold. Uh, <laughs> not much for uh, frills <laughs> have Rorschach there. Um, but the, the can of baked beans, actually, it's a Heinz can, but it has the number 58 on it when, in our world, we might expect the number 57. Um, <laughs> the, so just, I couldn't believe it when I saw that reference in the notes. Like, I, yeah. Who would... I wouldn't even, you could have told me it was any number on there in the real world, and I would have believed you. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Well, it's just a test—a testament to the uh, details that the illustrator had put into this, as far as, like, again, just showing things without having to say it is incredible. Um, but yeah, just a lot of crazy little things like that. I mean, every page, I feel like what we're only through 10 pages now and we've been talking for a while there's just so much um and just the symbolism and the way the author uses the text with his pictures because then at one point like the whole the whole time Rorschach and Dryberg are talking you're inside the house with them. But then he says he's, you, he's feeling a little exposed and suddenly you're looking at the conversation from outside. Just boom. It's kind of showing that he is exposed. Um, and just the little touches like that kind of give me goosebumps. Um, I think this page also gives you a little more about what Rorschach is all about because he doesn't, he's not here to like, have a friendly chat with his buddy, although you find out they are kind of buds to some extent. Mm-hmm. But he's just like, oh, I'm here. I stole your beans. Take a look at this. And then he tells that his sense of humor is great when Dan asks, this little stain, is that bean juice? And Rorschach just says, that's right, human bean juice. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then they pretty much just Borshek doesn't say much more before you're right. Dryberg's like, eh, I don't want to do this here. Let's bounce. <laughs> they go hide in the basement. He's that's his thing now is hiding. He doesn't want to be out in the open, or at least he doesn't feel like he wants to be. Right. 
And going to the basement, I think, is good, too, because it then gives you an idea of, like, oh, it's the bat cave. Here's where yeah. all his bat toys are. Except I get the owl toys, but. Dusty, and there's water dripping from the ceiling. Or probably not from the ceiling, but probably from pipes down there and puddles. And clearly, it's just everything's been hanging out there a while. It hasn't been used in a while. Um which just tells you a little more about Dan and the fact that he ha- he's truly retired. Um, and then on the next page, it's where you really first get to see Rorschach's mask changing. Uh, there's three panels all in a row. And it's not only that Rorschach's, Rorschach's mask is, like, shifting, which is crazy. And you still, like, I think later in the story they kind of describe how that works. And I'm still like, huh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's super cool. But not only that, in the background, you the, it's like the same panel. But Rorschach's mask is different. And Dryberg's expressions are vastly different. Um, and just showing, like, this this illustrator is really good at showing emotion and, and people's reactions without having to use words. Because um, he kind of goes from looking a little sullen to having a little bit of a skeptical smirk on his face to just shock. Um, right. <laughs> which is pretty cool. Um, like, he doesn't even have pupils in his eyes in that last one. It's just like the blank stare from the glasses. Um, and again, you're looking, then you also, the, he pulls back the viewpoint and you're looking at them from up above. Um, like he just shifts like where the camera is, which kind of adds that cinematic feel a lot. I guess where the camera is, but it's a story, so you know, you know what I mean. Um, I think there's a hint of that same thing. Like who watches the Watchmen is you, the reader. You're watching yeah. them from outside or from a pie or from wherever. And it's I, something like, you know, who would, like, follow along with this story and think this is cool <laughs> or whatever to some extent. But also uh, the more obvious, like, who's keeping an eye on these people who are keeping an eye on us is kind of the the main thing and the reason for the Keen Act and all of that other stuff that kind of went down and will be shown to be going down later on. I think the idea of like watching and surveillance especially becomes more and more prevalent as the book continues. And it's maybe even the most important thing <laughs> that comes out of it in the end. But these two, I anytime these two are together, it's the best because it's really Dan, who's if not washed up, then as close to washed up <laughs> as you can get. He's not quite as out of the game as Hollis Mason, maybe. Because he could still throw the suit on and get into it if he really wanted to. But you don't get the sense necessarily that he's looking for that. But also he's not happy. <laughs> he's kind of bummed. No, and there's there, the implication I feel like is when they talk and he says, he, obviously he's bummed out. When Rorschach leaves, you know, he kind of, he doesn't throw him out exactly, but he hints you should go. And it's not because I don't get the sense he's afraid of Rorschach. You don't get the sense Rorschach is a danger to him at all, but that he's afraid that maybe Rorschach is right. Like Rorschach's the one they were partners before. He said, oh, those were great times, Rorschach, great times. Whatever happened to them, Rorschach just says, you quit. quit. (laughs) And he walks out, and Dan kind of confronting that, like, 
I gave up. I did this for a reason and I gave it up just because they told me to or for whatever reason. I think he doesn't like confronting the idea that there was another choice. He looks so sad in that panel too. And this is a, another a, a page where the illustrator chose to do one really big panel and it's just of Dryberg sitting there with his glasses in his hand looking at this pin. And you can just kind of sense his his despair and just disappointment perhaps with the way things have turned out and probably nostalgia is what I would associate with him the most, just like sitting right next to his old costume. Right. If, it, if the first issue ended here, it would be okay. I feel like that would be a fine ending. Yeah. Probably but it doesn't add any more chapters. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, there would have been here. 24 issues <laughs> instead, but yeah. But it does kind of uh, take a shift to back to Rorschach's journal. Next day, October 13th, we see uh, Rorschach perched up high on a chimney. Um, one of the kind of overarching themes is kind of the heroes just being above it all or, um, you know, they're watching everyone else, too. Um, and they're just, you know, we see them up up high physically throughout the story, which is really interesting. Um, the coloring of this next page takes a shift too into some really like bold colors, just indicating you can see the sun is setting. Um, and Rorschach goes into a bar to try and learn a little more about um, the murder. Uh, you see him snap a guy's finger, just like it's nothing, twice I think, two fingers. Um, and it kind of shows you who Rorschach is. Like, it just it doesn't bother him in the slightest. They're all scum. <laughs> <laughs> These are trash people. And you also get a sense of his reputation because when he walks in, people are already upset by it. The and bartender then, is, like, freaked out. Yeah. And these it's people the these are clearly, like, bad dudes. These guys are, like, you know, they're street toughs or whatever, but not one of them lifts a finger as he <laughs> tortures this guy yeah. and nobody's coming to his aid. If the risk is Rorschach comes after me next. So, uh, you know that he's got a reputation as being kind of a, a hard ass, I guess. <laughs> well, he picked is. that guy cause that guy like mouthed off to him. Must've changed your deodorant. Yeah. Something like that, right. <laughs> yeah. That guy obviously has had a few too many to drink and doesn't really appreciate the <laughs> gravity of the situation. That's okay. Hey, Rorschach doesn't kill him, so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, true. <laughs> but, yeah, that scene, I don't know if it... I don't know. I don't feel like that's that whole scene brings a ton to the story. It's a better understanding of, others, of who But Rorschach it does is. give you a pretty good hint as to who Rorschach is and how he fits into this world. Um, and the way the bar scene ends with his thought which is, I leave the human cockroaches to discuss, discuss their heroin and child pornography. Oh, I have right, business yep. elsewhere with a better class of person. Yep. <laughs> it's like, his idea of what just regular people are getting up to is my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> He's a maniac. Yep, he really is. <laughs> hey, this is a different world. Maybe they are all just scums and pro scum and prostitutes. Yeah. I mean, they don't look like good dudes necessarily, but I no. like those are just. He's really obsessed with like 
drugs and <laughs> for everyone's a criminal as far yeah. as he's concerned. It doesn't really matter. They're guilty of something. He's yeah, not too concerned guilty. about what it is. Hmm. And apparently his idea of better class of people is when uh, is Adrian Bates, who's the, yeah. the next person he visits. Um, and again, the color scheme on this page kind of turns to light blues and purples, um, which is kind of the color we wind up associating with Bates. Um, and this is where Rorschach is kind of letting him know about the comedian and trying to get Bates to look into this with him. Bates is thinking it's, again, um, a political murder. You can see in the background um, Ozymandias, I think that says Indian famine relief, which just tuck that away for the future. Um, <laughs> um, and this is also in this discussion here is the first time we hear about Dr. Manhattan, who we'll meet soon. Um, and another interesting thing is that I think Rorschach is kind of defending the comedian to Vate, who is maybe not saying the best things about the comedian, but then insinuates that Vate is a sellout, which we can see all of these Ozymandias figures all over his desk and see that he's clearly a very wealthy person, and therefore Rorschach might not be wrong. Right. And Ozymandias is the first person who Rorschach encounters who is unfazed by Rorschach being there. Like, if you don't get the sense that he's like a pampered Pris or something, he's not nervous at all that Rorschach, the person who just made an entire bar full of criminal shiver, he doesn't mind it. He's not afraid of Rorschach in any way. Yeah, he's just talking to him like a peer, really. I think Ozymandias is right. He, you can tell he thinks Rorschach's beneath him, and he's not yeah. ent- entirely wrong, I guess. But Rorschach doesn't seem overly offended by that. He'll tell him how he feels, but he's not going to start trouble for no reason necessarily with him. We can also see how high up in that building we are, and then Rorschach just goes out the window. Right. Like, he loves jumping out a window. It's true. Um. <sighs> I think Ozymandias is, first of all, Ozymandias is my favorite poem, which is like maybe cliched. I could recite the whole thing right now, <laughs> but it's his name is almost a spoiler. I don't think it quite counts, but it's such a good, that's the, the best character name, I think, in this book. Well, hmm. Which poem are you referring to? Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley, I think is the name on it. I feel like it's something I should already be familiar with. But Uh-oh, yeah. Shan. <laughs> oh, no, you, do, you don't know Ozymandias? I mean, I legit could do it. It's not long. <laughs> do it. I mean, hey, go on. All right, here we go. Let's see if I can actually remember it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them in the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survived, carved on these lifeless things. And on the pedestal these words appear, My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look upon my works, ye mighty, and despair. 
nothing beside remains round the decay of that round the base of that colossal wreck boundless and bare the lone and level sands stretch far away wow joe yeah not quite as good as i thought i would do i don't i fumbled it but hey it's my favorite Color for a reason. I can't even I couldn't <laughs> even repeat a Shell Silverstein poem off my top of my head right now, so I bet that's the only one I could do. But I don't think I got into that poem until I read this book. So it's not exactly a something super classy that I just happened to be into before. Oh, that's super impressive though. Um, I always struggle with poetry a little bit. I'm interested know. to see how that kind of links up with the story. Yeah, absolutely. Some extra food for thought. Um, and then, it, again, we see the kind of enlarged panel. On the desk is the newspaper. It says nuclear doomsday clock stands at 5 to 12, warns experts, um, or warn experts. So, again, just kind of going back to that whole doomsday clock. And then we finally get to meet Dr. Manhattan. Um, and you see that he is at the Rockefeller Military Research Center. Um, actually, the symbol on that sign kind of looks like the Superman symbol to me. <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> Which I just think is kind of cool and probably purposeful. Um, you can also see, um, you don't actually see Dr. Manhattan on this page, but you get him speaking and you see that he also has a unique word bubble like Rorschach and his are blue. You also notice it takes Rorschach very little effort to sneak into a highly secure military research facility. Oh, yeah. But then again, maybe what's the difference? Like what if you've already got Dr. Manhattan there, how much security does it need? All he has to do is snap his fingers. I don't even think he snaps his fingers. I think it's just like, you're gone. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then you turn the page and I am reading it digitally. But I believe that this page turn is like an actual page turn, and boom, giant Dr. Manhattan. Big old blue butt. <laughs> Big blue butt. Yep. Sexy blue butt. Um, and then so you're just like, whoa, who is this guy? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you figure out who he is pretty quickly, which is he was the inspiration for Neil deGrasse Tyson, a real life person who doesn't have <laughs> any human feelings. Yeah. <laughs> I like his. Uh, un- this is the second person in a row who's completely unconcerned and unfazed by Rorschach being here. And it oh, is yeah. obvious why, because he literally has nothing in the world to ever be concerned about yeah. and doesn't seem capable of feeling concern even if he should. So it's true. It's this is really more of a chat between Rorschach and uh, Sally, who is Silk Spectre, but I don't think they get into that much at this point. Or Lori, you mean? Lori, yes, I'm thinking of her mom. Yeah. Hey, it's just like when I said Jupiter instead of just Pezchik, or <laughs> that wonderful Polish name that I'm struggling with, just Pezchik. Um, Rorschach also makes that same mistake there and calls her Miss Jupiter. She's like, no, that's not my name. Um, (laughs) And she is agitated by the fact that Rorschach is there, even though Dr. Manhattan is cool as a cucumber, big blue cucumber. Um, Careful now. (laughs) 
<laughs> you may see one later. Uh, yeah. <laughs> spoiler. Tag on this podcast, after all. Yep. Uh, <laughs> um, and then Rorschach just lets him know again, you know, like he's been doing all along that the comedian is dead. Um, and you see them talk about it again. Dr. Manhattan uh, refers to the fact that he's been doing government work. Um, this is where we first hear about Sally, Ray's mother. Um, she just says flat out that she is not sad the comedian died because he raped her mom. Um, and she mentions that that is revealed in Hollis Mason's book, Under the Hood, which we'll get to dive into a little bit very soon here. Um, another thing that just these crazy details, Rorschach pulls out a sugar cube that he took from Dryberg's. <laughs> and that's just awesome. Then later, uh, in the next page, um, actually two pages later, Lori picks up that sugar cube and throws it away when referring to Rorschach being put away. So just some of those little details are just crazy. Um, there's also the, the way the, the depth of the panels was drawn here is very symbolic. Um, you get the one where you see Rorschach through Dr. Manhattan's legs. And though it, even the way the panel is drawn, it looks like he might be a large human again. He's not. He's at normal human size. Um, but that's just an example of, of Dr. Manhattan being even maybe a level above heroes like Rorschach and the comedian. And Murray. Again, right. he's, he's the only one with actual power. Right. Um, and they give you a glimmer of the barest glimmer that there he is or was once a person because when she doesn't like that he's there, he gets rid of him. <laughs> like he doesn't care that Rorschach's there. He's busy working on something, so it's of no consequence to him. And but, you just see a little blue poop where Rorschach was and then he's outside. <laughs> yeah. He's in the middle of speaking and then he's gone. And that's it. He looks down at his hands like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then that's the next page is where we see, well, you see Manhattan just reaching inside of a machine, (laughs) Um, like like it's thin air. And Laurie is picking up that sugar cube wrapper. Um, And then you can see Dr. Manhattan, like, visualizing all of the parts in the machine. Um, kind of showing just how easy it is for it, for him to find out all these inner workings of the machine. And then Lori is just sitting there in the background and, and, and all in one color. Kind of shows how he's great with machines and can understand so much, but still just doesn't understand humans. Right. He checked in, he got rid of Rorschach, but now it doesn't matter that she's there either because all that matters is the work all those little machinery parts that he's studying and looking at. Um, Lori calls up Dryberg because uh, Rorschach mentions him and she says, I haven't talked to him in years. Gives him a call and sets up a dinner date. And then you see Dr. Manhattan kind of glowing and he's just got a little bit of a smirk on his face. And that just seems a bit foreshadowing well. Um, we learned some things about his powers later on that I think make that particular panel interesting, to say For the sure. least. Um, then we go back to Rorschach, still October 13th in his journal. 
um, he's looking up at a building and you can see first a naked woman in the window. He doesn't like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's not really into all of that. But then you see the um, the woman embracing a man in the window and that, that silhouetted vision of two lovers embracing is something that's going to be repeated throughout the book that you'll see as well. So pay attention to that. Um, you'll also see... It's not really graffiti. I guess it looks like a worn-out poster that says, it's a picture of Nixon, four more years. So, still president, <laughs> still running. Killing it. He's Nobody's exactly. doing as well in the world of the Watchmen as Richard Nixon is. He's the only one who would benefit <laughs> if this was real. Um, there's an issue of Tales of the Black Freighter sticking out of one of the trash cans. Um, and there's some, well... I have a foreshadowing reference here. I'm going to go ahead and skip for the sake of not being <laughs> spoilery. Um, and also, actually, in that shot of the former year's poster, the text from Rorschach's journal is, and there's so little time. So we've got so little time juxtaposed with four more years, which is just something that's going to be throughout this whole book. Right. Um, and then I, I think super jumped out at me in the next two panels. We see Lori and Dryberg go out to a meal. Neither of them seem particularly content. They're trying to play it off like everything's great, but clearly it's not. Right. It's like you see one of your old friends or an old flame, and you're just like, oh yeah, my life is awesome. Like your five-year yeah. reunion. Yeah. <laughs> like dating a supermodel and making, you know, six figures. So I haven't gone to a reunion. I'm not very good at lying, so... Yeah, they pretty much, I think this whole scene is pretty much just for the two of them to, A, show that they are human beings who can be normal and have human interaction and friends who are not a big blue person and a super old man, and also that they know each other. You don't need a lot out of it other than, hey, they're, if not, they must be friends of some sort or at least acquaintances. Um, in the double panel... Um, kind of where you see them in the background talking and you can really see a lot of the, the patrons of the restaurant that they're at. You do see that um, that strange like smoking device that we see on the elevator earlier. Um, you see someone with a like a knot top and tattoos and it seems like they might be into that gang of sorts. Um, the lady in the very front has kind of a strange makeup on her eye. Um, looks a little Egyptian perhaps um so just again kind of some just really minor references to it being a different world with some different like fashion choices and whatnot um and then we get to the last page which just so beautifully mirrors the first page of this chapter with starting out on that um, smiley face pin and zooming out from up above and I don't know. Joe, I know you said this is one of your favorite pages, so I'm let you talk about it. Yeah, but I just, they, whenever they button something up really well, it's my favorite. And they have a laugh about something horrible. <laughs> like, uh, they say, whatever happened to him talking about one of their old, uh, some villain or something that they had faced in the past. And Dan says, uh, he pulled it on Rorschach, and Rorschach dropped him down an elevator shaft. <laughs> and it's so <laughs> absurd that they both just lose it <laughs> and start laughing. But uh, she says, that felt good. There don't seem to be many laughs around these days. And Dan says, well, what do you expect? The comedian is dead. <laughs> and so it's kind of a 
it brings it full circle. It really does. The first chapter is probably perfect. Yeah, they, the whole book itself has so much thought put into it. And now you have to condense under the hood into something quick because we this episode's so long already. I yeah. know. I looked at the time and I was like, oh boy, yeah. <laughs> we need to move this so along. Hurry it up. Maybe we'll have to start breaking it up into half chapters. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe just be more concise. <laughs> There's just so much though. How do you pick what's more important than the other thing? Well, that's true. It's, we'll um, learn. We'll figure it out. It's true. Sorry. Uh, if you're still listening, anyone who actually started with us, thank you. We appreciate it. Um, we'll be more succinct in the future. Um, there is kind of supplemental stuff that's at the end of all of the chapters. This very first chapter um, ends with excerpts from Hollis Mason's book, Under the Hood, which we saw in his apartment earlier. Um, the supplemental material is really like you don't have to read it to know what's going on in the story, but it really does add some depth to it. Um, those first two chapters, they really kind of talk a lot about Hollis Mason being inspired to become a masked vigilante. Um, I don't know if there's really anything super specific that we need to point out. Did uh, Addison, did you have anything about it? Um, I know you just read it today. Was there anything? Or Joe, any anything you want to comment on from Under the Hood that would be important to our listeners? Hmm. No, I would say not hugely, except for it's another one of my favorite parts is the way he ends the first chapter. I guess you'd have to read it to get the context, but I'll read it anyway. He says, maybe it's safe to tell you why I'm crazier than Mo Vernon ever was. I didn't have a drawer full of erotic novelties, but I guess I had my own individual quirks. And although I've never worn a set of false bosoms in my life, I've stood there <laughs> dressed in something just as strange with tears in my eyes while people died laughing. Uh... <laughs> the writing on those two chapters is pretty fantastic. Uh... I know. It really is. Rereading it, actually, just before we recorded, I reread it and it was... Without the context, the <laughs> knowing that's probably like the most bizarre thing <laughs> you've ever heard. But I, I guess the thing I took from it was it was interesting. Like he was there at a time. He's kind of like depicting the time when the masks, the masks start um, with hooded justice. Kind of explaining he's kind of the first superhero, quote unquote. Which was kind of cool to kind of figure out where the history was and what kind of happened. And it was just some dude with a like a bag over his head who like started <laughs> thwarting some crimes. Yeah. And then like next thing you know, he gets the name Hooded Justice. Can I just talk about how weird it is that you're running around with a noose around your neck as your costume? It seems like a bad idea. It sounds like a horrible idea. <laughs> it's like one bad guy to like two bad guys to grab it and you're done though. I think if you want to be easily, if you want to evade people easily, you don't have, like, a ponytail. Or, like, yeah. It's like when I'm watching, like, The Walking Dead, and yeah. some of these people are, like, their hair is long. And they have, like, baggy clothes. <laughs> yeah. What are you thinking? They're wearing a bridal dress with a big giant train on All it. All the like, better Woo! for the zombies to yeah. grab you with. Right. <laughs> Let me evade this bad guy with nine-inch heels. Here we go. <laughs> well, I also like that Hollis was like, I did it because I wanted to. 
Right. Like literally, he, was his only reason for doing this because he wanted to wear a suit and beat up people. Yeah, it was he's pretty okay awesome. It. Yeah. He's like, I wanted to be a good guy, and this was how I was going to do it. He doesn't make any apologies for it. <laughs> he seems way more badass than Dan does in this. For sure. He's maybe closer on the Rorschach scale, but yeah. not quite as... Extreme? Right. Is the word? I think it's weird. Can we also, can we, can we say something? Is Rorschach or like homophobe, or is it just because of the time? I think it's a it's got to be because of his politics to okay. some extent and because he does yes, make a probably. comment about um vate oh yeah possibly homosexual possible must homosexual. yeah must investigate yeah <laughs> as if it matters yeah right but, exactly. yeah it's so funny and i was wondering but, if it was more of a representation of the time or just rorschach's character as as a whole i yeah i imagine it's both <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah i can see it from him like i said he has some questionable rhetoric it's yeah. kind of interesting to, like I said, it's confusing to like and not like him at the same right. time. <laughs> so you agree with some of it, but at the same time you can't, you know? Right. And you look at the world he lives in and it's like, things aren't good. Like, he's not wrong. Right. <laughs> and it's like he lives in a gray world. There's no black and white. So I guess it makes sense that his his ideas of the world is kind of interesting. Right. Mix of different views. Well, do we want to quickly, quickly, quickly talk like themes? Because I actually thought of, I think a big theme of this chapter that they touch on and throughout the book is the idea of your legacy and what you leave behind. Okay. Because the Hollis Mason has the book and Dan is kind of the one who picked up that legacy. Dan seems kind of bummed that he doesn't really, he didn't continue it. He kind of let it die with him. Dr. Manhattan's legacy is apparently eternal, so he doesn't <laughs> seem too Not wrapped too up about it. Yeah. Rorschach obviously has the journal because he wants something to leave behind there. And the comedian, it becomes more and more clear, was concerned about what, you know, what his actions were contributing to things and the ways in which they might be undone <laughs> kind of becomes more clear later. So I think the legacy thing is something big. Uh, I think Lori catches on having taken up the costume because her mom wanted it, wanted her to. And no, that's I true. don't think it's a huge spoiler to say, like, she's the second Pope Spectre. Her mom was the first. Right. Um, which I think we'll learn pretty quickly here in the next chapter. Um, but, yeah, I think that's definitely a theme of the story. Obviously, I brought up the uh, kind of the impending doom, the impending Armageddon, um, fear of nuclear meltdown and fallout, war, tensions with Russia, kind of opposite how they actually were in our world, um, with the U.S. being in Afghanistan versus Russia. Um, right. And the heroes kind of being down on everything. Uh, so some of these things that are just going to creep up throughout the story, and there's probably more themes that we haven't even called upon. Um, but with that, it is probably time to, to get a wrap on this podcast. It's been really, really fun. This is yeah. such a deep book, um, <laughs> and I'm excited to see what we can do with chapter two. Maybe we can get this to under an hour. We'll try real hard, guys. <laughs> I'm really um, excited for you to point out all the stuff that I totally didn't see in the next chapter. Yeah, or yeah me too, see. actually. <laughs> I can see what I'll be busy doing for the next few days. 
pre-recording. Uh, um, <laughs> just diving back through with my magnifying glass, <laughs> looking for that number 58. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, listeners, to those that maybe have actually made it to the end with us, um, you can reach out to us. We would love your feedback. Uh, we'd love to read your comments in our podcast, really get you in on the conversation with us. Um, you can get us at thewatcherspod at gmail.com. Um, you can also catch us on Twitter at, um, at watcherpodcast. So reach out to us. Let us know your thoughts. Um, share our podcast. Maybe help us get some listeners. Um, once we get this uh, on iTunes, rate and review us. Um, it helps other people find us and we're really excited to hear your thoughts. So with that, I say sayonara, Joe and Addison. Yeah, until um, next time. We'll, Enjoy. we'll be chatting about chapter two very soon. Bye.